thankful that you're here at Living Hope. And I just wanted to, uh, again, give another plug for, uh, for Velda as she was sharing about uh, ministering in China. Actually, in our uh, Life Bible class, we were just talking about Nehemiah, and we were saying how it's really interesting that for Nehemiah, he's just a person, you know, sitting there wondering how his people are, and God just calls him and uses his skills and his placement to be able to do great things for his people, for the kingdom of God and for the world around him. It's not just that he said, I'm this great guy. He just had these certain skills and God was ready to say, hey, why don't you use these skills now for the calling that I have, especially for you. And God used him to, again, build the temple and, sorry, to build the walls in a way that really even everyone around them knew that this was the work of God. So in the same way, I believe that God's calling us and we may not appreciate the skills that he has given to us or the things or the situation that are the situations that he has put us in or the opportunities that we have, but God is saying, I have given you these things for um, a purpose, uh, for my kingdom. And I mean, you know, we think about it and say, well, what kind of skill do I have? I mean, what simpler could it be just to be able to speak English and to say, God can use that for the gospel? I mean, it's like we use English every single day. I mean, we just talk and talk, we take for granted. We don't even think about grammatically what I'm trying to say, it just comes out. And for us, it's like, you know, whatever we do, it's, it's normal for us, it's nothing. But in China, in the context in China, where there are people who say, man, if I could find somebody who really is a native English speaker and talk to them, I'd want to spend the whole day with them, just finding out everything about them and finding out everything about what they believe, what they think, getting, you know, gaining from that. So that, and, and so we think, oh, you know, just because, you know, it's nothing. But for them, God can use this as a means to share the gospel. And we say also, oh, well, you know, opportunity-wise, uh, you know, maybe we, we could have been in a situation where we can't travel. You know, it's like, oh, I'm very poor. I'm in a place where we don't have airplanes and airports, and I can't go anywhere, so I can't do that. But we are in a situation where, what, every year we, we go. We travel. We plan our vacations. We think about flying. We don't even think too much. Some of us here for business, we travel, you know, every month overseas. It's not a big deal for us. It's something that we do. It's the situation that we're put in. And not just because I got lots of education and I got lots of opportunities. It's because God says, I'm giving you these opportunities. I'm giving you these, these things that you can do where you are at, the skills that you have, because I can use them for the gospel. And when I call and when I give you those opportunities, um, uh, don't take it lightly. Don't think, I can't do this, or, or, or I don't want to do this, or it's not going to make a difference. Maybe, maybe that's why God has called you and given you the ability to speak English, uh, the ability to travel and not have problems, you know, on a plane or, 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 or um, having, you know, a, a travel motion sickness or whatever. Maybe that's why God has given you those things, that he can use those as well for the gospel of Jesus Christ in ways that you know, we never thought would, would ever be significant. But God says, yeah, that's why I gave it to you. That's the story of Nehemiah in a nutshell. And I mean, that's what we've been learning. And Velda's giving the opportunity, whether it's this or whether it's of something else. Um, you know, you don't have to be a really good English, you don't have to be like super articulate. Uh, you just speak English good or well. <laughs> <laughs>
and, and you, you got it, you know? Um, because actually, I remember, you know, when I was in, in China and even when I was teaching English here in the U.S., it's like they, they don't just want to know how to speak proper English. They want to know how English people really speak. And so you can even tell them, hey, this is how we speak, you know, and they're, they, they like really, they're like excited because they don't get the opportunity to, to hear from a, an English speaker growing up in the United States what English really sounds like. So, um, so I say, man, we are equipped. We have opportunity. Just pray. Just pray and see if, if God is going to call you uh, to do something like this. And you may say, oh, I've never done it before. Well, that's, that's a good thing. That means God can do something very special that, that he's never done before in your life. So do pray about it. This morning, <clears throat> we are continuing in our study of the book of Colossians. <clears throat> excuse me, on the topic of being complete in Jesus Christ. And we saw that, that being complete in Jesus means that when we accept Jesus from the very beginning, <clears throat> there's a powerful spiritual change that occurs in our life. We are instantly a new creation. We become uh, covered with the righteousness of Jesus Christ, that Jesus, when he died on the cross to pay for our sin through faith, and when he rose from the dead, through faith we have forgiveness. There's nothing more that we need to do to make ourselves more righteous. We are fully loved by God. We are fully accepted by God when we put our faith in Jesus. We also saw that in Jesus, our completeness involves the fact that God gives us everything that we need to live the spiritual life, to walk and to honor Jesus in this world. And we also saw that in Jesus, we have a hope that we see the finish line, that we know that our hope will never be shaken, that this is our destiny, that we have a life after this life, a life of peace, of eternal fellowship in the presence of Jesus. That's what we have in the completeness of Christ. And today, as we continue in this idea of being complete in Christ, we want to talk about kind of what we say is the um, less popular aspect of Christ's sufficiency, and that is Christ's sufficiency in times of suffering. Now, we may ask, why do we have to talk about this um, because many people say, well, being a believer is supposed to be you know, filled with happiness. You get everything you want in this life. You're successful, fulfilled in everything you do. Isn't that what Jesus does for us? Um, but we know that this is not the case. I mean, we will find very quickly that suffering as a Christian is not just an inconvenience or an anomaly, but actually it's, it's integral. It's an integral part of being a follower of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus went out, was on earth, he did not you know, question, God, why is this happening to me? He didn't say, God, how come life is not fair? I mean, to him, it was really clear from the very beginning that suffering was going to be a part of his mission on earth, that it was interwoven to the very reason why uh, God had placed him on earth, the purpose that he was to accomplish. And so as followers of Jesus Christ, I mean, it's no surprise, right? If we're going to follow Jesus Christ to be like him, we know that, that suffering is going to be uh, a part of our life, struggle. Sacrifice. And so we want to ask the question, how does the sufficiency of Jesus affect or, or help us in these times of suffering? And that's what Colossians chapter 1 verse 24 is, is going to be talking about. So let's go ahead and let's turn to Colossians chapter 1 verse 24. In a reverence for the word of God, let's all stand together. <clears throat> Reading from the word of God in Colossians chapter 1. 
It says, now I rejoice. This is the Apostle Paul. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I become a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this majesty, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. And again, we have here uh, three huge sentences that we want to take apart and really understand what, what, what Paul is saying, what God is saying to us about um, struggles and about the sufficiency of Christ. And from this passage, we'll see that the sufficiency of Jesus brings us peace in our struggles as God completes his beautiful work in us. That's what we'll be looking at. Now, again, a lot of times <clears throat> when we look at the spiritual life, um, we might look at it as like um, exercise, um, like spiritual exercise. If I want to be healthy, I go to the gym. It's like I need exercise every day. It's like I know it's what I need to do. And this is how I feel when I go to the gym. I, you know, there's some people that like they really love going to the gym. They're pumped up. They're thrilled, excited. They feel energy, energized whenever they leave. You know, things like that. Me, that's how I look when I first come into the gym, and that's how I look when I come out of the gym. Uh, me, I just feel pain. I feel tired. I feel hungry. I feel like okay, I burned off all these calories, but now when I come home, I just feel like eating lots of stuff because I'm so hungry. And I'm like, you know, and so. I'm never going to get to the point where the words, let's go to the gym, is going to thrill me, okay? I just, I mean, it's been long enough. People say, well, when you get to it and you keep doing it, you, you'll start liking it. And I'm like, yeah, that's not, not, not me. Um, and sometimes we think of the spiritual life like that. It's like, man, for the rest of my life, I'm going to be doing these spiritual exercises. I'm going to be doing my stuff. And, but I... You know, I'm waiting for myself to like this and, and be thrilled about it, but for some reason I feel like it's like exercise for me anyways. Now, I agree that a lot of the spiritual life is indeed straight discipline. I mean, there is the sense that if anything is worth having or growing or developing, it requires hard work. And, and it requires doing the things that we may not feel like doing all the time. But there are also moments as we think about the spiritual life, the spiritual life is not just like this, like miserable our entire lives. There, there is a parts where, where our spiritual life has a tremendous amount of joy and peace, even in the struggles and the sacrifice. And so I want to kind of give a different picture here. I mean, if you love exercise, this is a good picture, not this picture, but you know, somebody who's like really excited. But think of something that you enjoy that you are really passionate about, that you love. You know, like for me, it's like drawing. And so that's not my hand because it's right-handed and I'm left-handed. So, <laughs> so, you know, anyways. But um, when I draw, I feel excited and refreshed. I mean, I love drawing. People will say, you know, isn't it a sacrifice? I mean, you really sit there and you have to spend, I do sometimes, I'll spend hours on a drawing. You have to buy, go to the store and buy materials for it and you have to, you know, carve the pencil out so the tip is just right and if it breaks, you have to carve it out again and, and all this stuff, you have to think in your mind and, and you have to try to do all these things and if the picture doesn't come out right, then you feel like you waste, isn't it so much hard work to draw? And I'll like, well, yeah, I guess 
guess it is kind of hard work, but is it sacrifice? Mm, yeah, I guess it is sacrifice, but how do I feel? Um, I love it. I mean, I wish I could draw more. I wish I had more hours to do it. I wish that the, the joy of having something in my mind that is creative, that is something that, that's not visible, and to be able to put that on paper in a way that I can look at it and say, wow, this is what I was thinking of, the picture in my mind. Um, it's invigorating. It's, it, it, to me, it's beautiful. To me, I don't even think about um, the cost at all. I don't think about the fact that this took me, you know, I've been drawing for three hours, two hours or three hours. I, I don't think about it because I'm like, wow, you know, this is so exciting when I see this picture. Um, and I feel like that's the kind of picture that Paul, when we look at this, kind of wants to instill in our minds, even to just a small degree, uh, regarding our spiritual lives, even regarding the struggles that we go through. That the suffering, that the sufficiency of Jesus Christ actually paints a, a different picture of the sacrifices and struggles that, that, that we meet and that we experience as followers of Jesus. It's in a sense that we think that, you know, I'm so um, excited about becoming like Jesus. I'm so enthralled when, when I see how my experiences, even of suffering, can lead to, to seeing someone uh, come to know Jesus Christ as Savior, that that brings so much peace that, and, and joy that I'm not even thinking about the, the sacrifices and the struggles. And I believe that's what the sufficiency of Christ does when we think about our areas of, of struggle and suffering. And the first thing we want to look at is how the sufficiency of Christ really does change our perspective on suffering. And if you look at verse 24, Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake in my flesh. I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Now, again, note that Paul, at this time, when he's writing, he's in prison for preaching the gospel, and he's saying that's the sufferings that he's speaking of as well as the fact that he like, was stoned almost to death and dragged out of a city and beaten up and all this kind of stuff. I mean, he had a lot of suffering. And he says, I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. He says, now, meaning therefore, I rejoice in my suffering because of the supremacy of Christ, because there's something about Jesus that changes the way that Paul looks at his present imprisonment. Now, this passage is really, or this verse is really kind of confusing because of this one little phrase here. I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, that sounds really, I'm going to say it sounds really weird. What does it mean, lacking in Christ's afflictions? It sounds like something's lacking in Jesus. Paul's filling up. He's, he's, he's doing something that Jesus you know, didn't finish or things like that. What does this mean? Well, the word affliction means literally the uh, distress, pressure, trouble. It refers to the trials and, and struggles in life. So this is not referring to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. It's not referring to Jesus' sacrifice. Rather, it's referring more, most likely, to Jesus' earthly ministry. The, 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 the struggles that Jesus went through, the sacrifices that he made for the sake of the kingdom of God, for the gospel, as he moved forward, just day by day, leading the disciples, dealing with the Pharisees, and, and dealing with the people who would uh, ridicule him and, and throw him out of that town. All of these things are the Afflictions or the struggles uh, of Jesus Christ for the sake of the gospel. And so what Paul in this verse is saying is that Christ's suffering for the gospel 
is, in a sense, continuing through the sufferings of Paul. That Paul, as a follower of Jesus Christ, is continuing to fulfill Jesus' ministry of the gospel. That, that, that the struggle for the gospel is not over. It's not that Jesus did not finish things through his death. Through his death, um, salvation was finished. There's nothing you can add to it. But the suffering for the sake of the gospel even after Christ's resurrection, continues through his disciples, through Paul, through us. That's what Paul is speaking of, of this idea of the sufficiency of Christ, a sense that it involves this mystical, if you want to say this mystical union that Jesus has with each one of us as his believers. That, that the Bible says, you know, we are buried with Christ, we're raised with him, made alive with him. In the same way that we share in his dying and rising, we share in his sufferings for the sake of the gospel. And so, you know, this, this idea has continued to be reinforced through Paul's teaching. We are ambassadors for Christ as if God is making his appeal through us. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Romans 8. We are fellow heirs with God, provided that we suffer with him. And so this, this picture is the sense that, that we are in union with Christ, that, that Christ, in a sense, continues his suffering and his struggle for the gospel through us every day as we walk, as we speak, as we declare, as we present a Jesus Christ. And so what is lacking is not this deficiency in Christ, but rather it's the fact that Christ is continuing to express his life in the life of Paul and in us. So that's how that verse works. I know it's a long explanation, but it is a very important verse in understanding um, how we are to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. Um, one question we wanna ask is, as a witness for Jesus, how am I reflecting Jesus to the people around me? How am I truly reflecting Jesus to my family, to my coworkers, to my acquaintances? I mean, what are the things that I'm doing that actually really show Jesus? And Paul is saying one of the greatest witnesses is what we do in suffering, what we do in struggle, what we do when things don't work out for us, what we do when we're waiting in prison, shall we say, or when people hurt us, or when we're treated unjustly, that these are the pictures of, of, of Jesus in our lives. This is how we show Jesus to the people around us. Without our struggles, without our suffering, um, our picture of Jesus would not be full, in a sense. Um, and so this is, this is, in a sense, a, a picture of why, or this is a reason why uh, Paul rejoices in his suffering because he knows that, that indirectly his suffering has brought about this gospel to even the Colossians that he's writing to. He says, by suffering for your sake, that when I think about you guys and, 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 and all of the, and the fact that you guys, you know, are all believers and followers of Jesus Christ, he says, I, I can't even remember how I suffered anymore because I'm just thinking of you guys, how God has changed you, how, how you guys were all once destined for hell and had, could know nothing about it, and now you, you love Jesus and you have a hope. And he says, and, and because of this, I'm just, I'm just thrilled. I'm, I'm excited and I don't think about, it's a different way of now looking at my imprisonment 
um, because of, of the sufficiency of Christ. Related to this is the idea of maturity. He says, we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And the word here for mature is the word perfect. And it's the idea, when we say perfect, we're not saying like um, uh, morally flawless, like you know, we're suddenly we're like perfect, we don't do anything wrong. But rather, it's this idea of fully able to fulfill its purpose is perfect. Now, uh, so it's real specific what Paul, what, what this word perfect means. It's kind of like, you know, when you go to Home Depot and you see this tool and you go, oh my gosh, that's the perfect, that's a perfect tool. I gotta have that. Why is it the perfect tool? Because we think in our minds that it's exactly what we need, you know, to fix our house or whatever. And, and you know, it's the perfect tool. I gotta have it. Not because it's perfect. I mean, I haven't even tried it yet. But it, it's, it's, it fulfills the purpose for why I need this. Or, you know, if we say, oh, this is the perfect gift. We're walking in the store. My wife, she has, she has the gift of giving. And so she's always looking and she'll say, oh, that's, that's the perfect gift. I, I want to give that to so-and-so. I'm going to buy that for so-and-so. Not even Christmas, birthday, whatever. I know that they will love that. And, and that's Rita. Yeah, I know. That's Rita. And she's like, I know they'll love that. She's like, I've got to buy that. It's perfect for this person. Why is it perfect? Not because even if it has a chip on it or whatever, it doesn't matter uh, if it's perfect in terms of the form. She's saying it's perfect because it will fit into their life perfectly. It will do the things that will bring them joy or to, to help them in their lives to accomplish whatever God wants to accomplish in their life. And that's, that's what it means by, you know, perfect. And so when Paul says that uh, he wants everyone to reach maturity, perfection, he's saying uh, that we will all, even as believers, uh, be perfect, perfected in our purpose, why God created us. And so we ask the question, what is our purpose in Jesus Christ. Our purpose is to worship, is to worship Jesus Christ. When our sufferings is o- are over, Paul says we will be fully ready to worship Jesus perfectly. That's what suffering does. When suffering, suffering helps us to understand the glory and the goodness of Jesus. Suffering helps us that when we stand before Jesus Christ to really give him the glory and the honor that he deserves. That's what suffering and struggle does. I mean, you know, we as parents here, we can talk as parents because the kids are all gone, right? Um, As parents, we will say, oh, you know, kids, they never appreciate anything anymore. They don't appreciate what they have, right? I mean, we say that. We say, oh, you know, kids, they don't appreciate the fact that, you know, we have a nice house, nice stuff, you know, phone, everything like that. They have their own car. And kids don't appreciate that. When I was a kid, when we were parents growing up, you know, we didn't have these things. Uh, we remember we had to work for stuff, and we had to buy a, an old used car that barely, you know, was always breaking down. We had, you know, our parents didn't buy us everything that we needed. Um, uh, our, you know, nobody had a computer at that time. We were typing on typewriters, and, and, and we didn't have iPhones. We didn't have phones. We had to find change and stick it in a thing, and, and if it ran out, you know, we couldn't talk anymore, things like that. And so... We say that our struggles and our suffering gives us a deeper appreciation of the things that we enjoy right now. As see, suffering has a way to do, of doing that. You know, for example, you give a kid a, a new iPhone, and you know, let's say he always gets the new iPhone anyway, so he gets a new iPhone, he's like, okay, thanks, you know, and you know, he doesn't treat it very well. You know, he has this thing that's like, I guess, $800 in his pocket, you know, or $800, and he's just kind of dropping it, and you're like, oh, 
you know, how could you drop it? Why did you leave it there? You know, you wouldn't leave $800 sitting on a table, you know, things like that. And you say, well, they don't, you know, appreciate the value of this. And at the same time, you give another kid uh, the same iPhone who has known suffering and want. And he looks at it and, and, and he really appreciates it. He, he treasures it. He cares for it. He makes sure that it's used properly. He doesn't abuse it. And uh, he's very thankful for that. And he, he understands the worth of that phone. Now, what's interesting is the intrinsic worth of that phone is exactly the same, right? When you give it to both people, it's exactly the same. But it's the heart of the sufferer who understands its value, who understands its worth. See, in the same way, the sufficiency, Jesus is sufficient for all of us. I mean, we all have the same Jesus. Jesus did the same thing for all of us. We are all, um, Jesus is sufficient for us. We all have the blessing. We all have a new life. Uh, we're all sanctified by Jesus. We all have the righteousness of Jesus in our lives. We're acceptable, fully acceptable, fully loved by God. But it's the one who experiences sacrifice and suffering in the world who truly understands the worth of what Jesus has done for us, of what it means to be forgiven, of, of what it means to say that, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We understand the worth of Jesus because of our suffering, because of our failures, because we have received forgiveness, because we have seen God at work in situations where we thought that everything was lost. And it is the worth of Jesus that is the basis of worship. And that's how we're perfected through our struggles. That's how we're made perfect in what we are called to do, to worship God. When we all stand with God in glory to worship Jesus Christ for all the things that we have suffered and struggled in our lives, these are the things that make us able to worship Jesus perfectly when we are in his presence. And that's something that, it's, a, it's, it's what we say is a, is a new perspective of how we begin to look at our suffering and our struggle. It's still not enjoyable, but there's joy and peace because we understand, wow, this is going to help me really understand how beautiful Jesus is, what he really means, and what he truly is. And so Paul says, he, he goes on to say, um, he says that, uh, Sorry, that just like Paul, we see that, that uh, when we think about the fact that the people that we meet, I, when, I, when we go to do evangelism um, on Saturdays, and, um, you know, sometimes in the morning, I'm actually kind of scared, you know, I'm kind of like, oh, man, you know, I, I was working kind of hard on my sermon uh, on Friday night, or I had this, you know, a lot of stuff to do. I'm kind of exhausted from leading on Friday night, and Saturday morning, getting up to do evangelism and, and go out and, 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 and talk to strangers, which, again, is really hard sometimes. And, but you go out there, and you, you talk to somebody, and we see people come to Christ. I mean, we really do. It's not like you go out there, and, and everybody spits on you or things like that. They're, they're very friendly sometimes. And uh, sometimes they are angry, uh, but they come to receive Jesus as Savior. 
And when they come to receive Jesus as Savior, and we sit down, and when you, and, and Connie, Louise, and others can, can testify to this, when they sit down and, and, and they pray to receive Jesus as Savior, um, you don't think about anything else. You don't think about how hard it was to get up in the morning. You don't think about how tired you were or how hard it was to, to get out there and, and talk to somebody. Or you don't think about, oh, I missed watching uh, the Olympics uh, on Saturday morning or whatever. You don't think about those things. You think about, wow, here's a person who was going to spend the rest of his life in hell. Frankly, yeah. And he just made a decision that changed the whole thing around. He's going to heaven. Even if I never see him again, uh, even if ne I never do anything worthwhile again, I'd look at that and say, boy, I don't care about the suffering because here's a guy who received Jesus Savior. Paul's looking at the Colossians, a church of believers, and saying, you know, I've been stoned, I've been I'm put in prison, but when I think of you guys, and, and for the sake, you guys, for the sake of what all this suffering was about, I'm, I'm excited. I'm jumping around singing in jail. I don't care if there's chains on me or whatever. I'm singing because I know that because of my suffering, there's a whole group of people in Colossians who their lives have changed. And they're praying for me and they're worshiping the Lord and they're going to go out and spread the gospel and share the love of Jesus Christ even more than I can. And even if I never get out of prison, I'm filled with joy knowing that my suffering has led to this. I mean, that, that's really what Paul is talking about. And, and that's a sense of changing the perspective of our suffering and our struggles. Um, the second way that Jesus' sufficiency brings joy amidst struggle is the sense of God's power. God's power and, uh, is uniquely supplied during suffering. Uh, the sufficiency of Christ doesn't make suffering easy. Uh, we still, Paul says, I toil and I struggle with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So he's saying, I struggle. Struggling is like this term, uh, actually it's the idea of like the Olympic sports, like the training in Olympic sports, the type of things that they go through, you know, training to get to where they are. You watch this guy go down the slopes, you know, and you're like, wow, it looks so easy for him, you know, just going back and forth. I could do that. No, they spent, you know, they spent, since they were a child, going down the slope. They probably, all the skiers, they have like these major injuries on their hips and knees, multiple surgeries. Why? Because they were training for this event, you know? And you're like, that's the idea of training and struggling with all my strength. But he doesn't say with all my strength. What does he say? He says with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. And we say, who, who's he? He's Jesus. He's God. He is the Holy Spirit. That, that I experience these things. If Christ's suffering is completed in us, then it stands to reason that his overcoming power also dwells in us as well. That the struggle, that, that if we carry on Jesus' struggle in our bodies, then we're going to, Paul says, the, the, the God's power, the power that was in Jesus Christ that raised him from the dead, that same supernatural power is going to be working through us as we sacrifice and as we struggle and as we suffer. If we are living according to the sufficiency of Christ, then our trials and our hardships are unique opportunities to feel God's power working in us really feel his power working in us. You know, if, if we go through life and life is very toilsome and ministry is just very wearisome, 
so maybe we need to really sit and say, you know, am, am I really doing these things because out of the sufficiency of Christ, out of the strength that he gives? Um, because, because God promises when we do the things of God through the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, we will toil and we will be weary, but we will be filled with his strength and his power and his energy to be able to do the things, to say the things that need to be said, to have the courage that needs uh, to, 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 to fill me in order to, um, to do the things that God wants to do, God wants me to do. Believe that he will do that. And he will give it at the time. We always think, uh, you know, when I think about stuff in the future, I know I can't do that. Well, yeah, because you're not doing it. You're not experiencing yet. So God's not giving you the power to endure it yet. But when it comes, God will give the power. When it comes, God will, will, will fill you with strength and enable you to do things and endure things that you never thought you could. And you can't anyways because it's the power of Jesus who can do it. And so that's the sufficiency of Christ. Uh, changes our perspective on suffering. Promises a power that is uniquely supplied in suffering. And finally, uh, there's a sense of which it reminds us of um, our mission. If you look at, um, at ver the next verse, it says, um, at which I became a minister according to the stewardship of God that was given to me for you to... Um, Make this word of God fully known, the mystery of the hidden for ages and generations, but now is revealed in his, to his saints. Okay, this again, big uh, mouthful. What, what, what is God, what is, what is he saying here? Uh, he's talking about this idea of mystery, this mystery hidden for the ages. Well, what is this? Uh, mystery basically is um, this idea of something that was once concealed in the past, but now has been revealed through Jesus, okay? That's really simple. That's all that mystery really means. It means something in the Old Testament that nobody could figure out how this is gonna work. But then when Jesus comes, they're like, okay, now I know how this is gonna work. That's, that's mystery. And so the mystery that Paul's speaking of here is he's saying, this is a mystery that the Gentiles, meaning you Colossians, are included in the kingdom of God, okay? The riches of his glory given to the Gentiles now. And, and, and so, you know, we don't think about that as a mystery. We're like, hey, we're all Gentiles. I mean, we're all Christian. It doesn't mean anything. But in Paul's time, this was a mystery. Uh, they, the Jews thought, you know, the, the, the Gentiles, they don't have this long tradition. They're not gonna be fellow heirs with us. There's always gonna be a separation. We're God's people and they're kind of God's people through us, things like that. But uh, Paul says, oh, you know, neither Jew nor Greek. They're like, wait, what? And it says, all who once were far away are brought near through the blood of Christ. And the Jews are like, what, what, wait? And they says, you've been given this glorious hope, which is Christ in you, meaning the Gentiles, Colossians. He said, this is this, is this mystery. This is this, um, this uh, thing that nobody else knew. And if you look at the verse, it says, um, we proclaim warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Um, the repeated word, of course, is everyone, three times. We saw before that the supremacy of Christ means Jesus is Lord over all people, all creation. And he says also, the church's mission extends to all humankind. And it doesn't stop until the whole world knows. That's why following Jesus 
means struggle, means suffering. I mean, it'd be really easy if we said, hey, you know, being Christian means uh, enjoying Christ for the rest of your life. That's, that's easy, no struggle, no problem. Uh, being Christ, being a, a, a in Christ means sharing the gospel with anybody who's really interested in it. Well, that's not too bad, you know. God give me the strength to share the gospel with people who are really interested in it. Or maybe they say, well, sharing the gospel, uh, being a, a good follower of Jesus Christ means sharing the gospel with people that are similar to you, that you really get along with, like your friends or your buddies, that you really can talk with about spiritual things on that level, and they're really interested in spiritual things, and they're very open, and they're very non-critical and non-judgmental, and, and they won't hurt you, and they won't say anything bad about you. And I'm like, oh yeah, if that's life for me, I mean, if that's the, 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 the mission of God, to share the gospel with only these people, then yeah, I, I don't have to worry about um, struggle, suffering, because sharing the gospel is easy. But the church's mission is to all people. Paul says we're not given the permission to um, be selective or picky about who gets God's grace about who gets forgiven, about who gets to hear the gospel, who gets to be loved. The, the, the gospel ministry is hard because the gospel must go to everyone. That's why Jesus says, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. He's not saying, you know, just be a, an idiot and go be nice to people who are gonna beat you up. No, he's saying for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the gospel, because the gospel is for everyone, even the Romans, you love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Peter, this is why Peter says, wives, honor your husbands, even if they don't honor God's word. And your wife's going, man, my husband is so hard. Do I really have to? Yeah. Because they may be won over for the gospel by your, by your conduct. It's the gospel, it has to go to everyone. This is why Paul says to the slaves, honor your masters like they're honoring God. You don't know my master. I think he's the only one that I don't have to honor because of things he didn't know. Paul says, no, you honor your master because you, it's like you're honoring God, just like you're honoring Jesus. We don't get to choose. That's the nature of God's calling, to give the best possible chance of every single person to worship God perfectly. That's why life is hard. That's why we have suffering. That's why missionaries leave their home and their family and their friends to go to a foreign land. That's why we're learning how to have great compassion for uh, those affected by disabilities, for foster families, for single parents, for those affected by human trafficking. It's because as followers of Jesus Christ that we're called so that everyone may know Jesus as savior, may worship him perfectly, that every follower of Jesus Christ has a mission that stretches beyond our familiarity, beyond our comfort, beyond what we're able to do. Um, so that the world may know Jesus. That's why we suffer. That's why we struggle. And yet we know at the end, and you can replace whatever faces you want in this picture, but after all of our suffering and struggles, after all our sacrifice, after all our tears, after all the times we have had to die to self, 
we realize that all of these things are just another brush, brush stroke in this beautiful picture of God leading the nations, every single person, to come and worship Jesus like perfectly, perfectly. That's why we do what we do. Let's go ahead and let's close. Let's, let's spend some time in quietness before the Lord.